Hello, I'm Amber Athey, Washington editor of The Spectator, and I'm here to tell you about our fantastic new election offer. Go to spectator.us slash election offer and subscribe to get three months free access to The Spectator US website and our new app available on the Apple and Google Play stores. Make sure you're getting the very best coverage and commentary in the run-up to November 3rd. Find out more at spectator.us slash election offer. Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast. This is an election year. Will Donald Trump be re-elected? What is going on with the Democrats? And has America gone even more crazy? We'll be discussing all of these things and more more than once a week, because we don't feel you have enough Americano in your life. I'm joined today by Kate Andrews, who is the economics correspondent of The Spectator, and we're going to be talking about last night's Veep debate. Now, Kate, you stayed up last night to watch Kamala Harris and Mike Pence argue it out behind plexiglass. Do you think it was worth staying up for? I do, Freddie, and partially because you so kindly invited me to live blog the debate last night with your team in the US. And also because it was... Thank you for doing that. I was very happy to. Thanks for asking me. It was also very interesting. We actually got some distinction as to what the political parties stand for in this election. And it was fascinating, really, to hear the different ways in which both parties, I think, would continue on with COVID-19 and their response to it. Very clear that the Democrats would be much more keen on a national level to implement lockdown, the Republican Party not so much, and also around the economy. The fact that the Democrats want to bring in tax hikes and are publicly saying that during a massive economic contraction, arguably one of the the strongest moments that that Mike Pence had last night was pushing back on that. And um, we actually got some meaningful debate. I wondered about that because, I mean, I think a lot of people were looking forward to a bit of meaningful debate after last week's horror show in the presidential debate. But I also noticed on Twitter, and I have to say I felt it a bit myself, that it was lacking a certain spark. It was quite dull, really. And I wonder whether we've become so used to sort of politics as wrestling in the Trump era that we, well, firstly, we complain about Trump being, you know, juvenile and and it being sort of a stupid shouting match. Uh, last week. And then this week, certainly judging by Twitter, a lot of us are going, oh, boring. Are we incapable of being satisfied by a political debate? That actually might be it, because I think if this VP debate were to happen in a different election year, people would have thought it was much punchier than maybe they think it is now. I mean, there were real moments, uncomfortable moments for both candidates uh, around the Supreme Court, around the economy, around the handling of COVID-19 so far. It was around the Black Lives Matter protests and criminal justice reform. I mean, there was this really incredible moment actually where, where Mike Pence was treading on the toes of the Democrats and rattling off Kamala Harris's track record on criminal justice reform and the lack thereof when she was attorney general in California. It was a real moment in the debate. And, and I think in another year, people would have said, wow, that was feisty. But you make a good point, Freddie. I mean, what is feisty these days yeah. when you compare it to what happened last week between the president and the former vice president? Well, Kamala Harris is certainly has a feisty streak, I think it's fair to say. And we heard a lot of talk beforehand, a lot of her team was sort of briefing out that she's going to give a more mature statesman-like woman performance. She's she's not going to rise to provocation. But you could see she struggled with that. And she did sort of try to slap down Pence a few times, uh, a couple of times maybe quite successfully. Other times I'd say she just came across looking sort of uh, overly belligerent. 
Whereas Pence, I think, was livelier perhaps than we were expecting, even though he didn't look great. He had that bloodshot eye and there was the unfortunate fly that landed on his hair. Why don't you tell us a bit about that, Freddie, for viewers who didn't watch? For people who didn't watch, I thought it was actually Pence's best moment in terms of what he was saying. Uh, It was a good riff on law and order and really got at Kamala Harris's weak points, particularly in relation to the Black Lives Matter riots. But there was this fly that landed on his head, a rather large fly, very large. visible fly. Everyone could see it. And it just got <laughs> stuck there for maybe two, three minutes. The live blog suggested it was there for a while. There were a lot of comments about that fly. It felt like a very, very long time. And the problem was you couldn't listen to what he was saying, <laughs> uh, which was a shame for him because, as I say, it was good. So th- those sort of silly moments, again, going back to the fact that we don't really want serious debate, we just want entertainment and, and wrestling-style madness. Those might actually end up being the things we remember about this debate, which is a shame for Pence because he performed very well, I think, and much better than Kamala, I'd say. I agree. Sorry, Senator Harris, I mean. (laughs) (laughs) I I agree. I was surprised that uh, I came out of that debate thinking that Mike Pence had actually quite comfortably won it. I think that was for several reasons. As you say, Freddie, there there were moments where it felt like there could have been more debate and perhaps it was lacking. I think that's because... Kamala Harris would have actually liked to have been debating the president. She was prepared for somebody to be interrupting left, right, and center to be the cool, calm, collective one saying, may I please finish my sentence? And as you say, maybe it worked a few times, but she did it every time he posed a question, every time he tried to get a bit of back and forth to tease out the differences between them. And it started to feel like she just wasn't prepared to answer the questions. She felt underprepared in moments and she would kind of smile and laugh almost as if he was being the silly one for asking really important questions that the American people might like an answer to, like, do you not support any of the Trump tax cuts? What exactly are your plans to get America started again? And so I I, I didn't really think that it worked. And by the end, it did feel like he was more willing to engage with her than the other way around. I think she was hoping she could prove that he wasn't willing to, that he wasn't listening, but he was listening. And I think that's actually where his strength came from last night. The pundit, I was watching it on Sky News, which for American listeners is a, is a British channel. And the pundits afterwards were saying quite a lot that Pence was doing his best impression of Donald Trump, kept interrupting Harris, but she kept her cool and all this stuff. And I just felt they must have not really seen the debate because that's not what I saw at all. I don't think that's what people watching the full debate will have seen. And I'm sure that different news organisations today will be clipping it in a way that favours their preferred ticket. But I think if you were watching the whole thing... Pence showed up to that debate and was ready to engage. And she showed up. And I mean, she's a fantastic public speaker. She's very good at what she does. But last night, she wasn't willing to debate him in the same way. That said, I mean, she did have strong moments. It's very difficult, especially now in American politics, to go on stage and make a case against trade wars. I thought she did it quite well, explaining why trade wars were bad for the American people. I think she was strongest when she was criticizing the president's track record on COVID-19. Uh, and the disproportionately high number of deaths in America compared to other developed countries. But again, she got a bit confused in moments and she started saying things like, well, people didn't have the opportunity to save up money. So they, they were in a difficult financial situation when we got into the height of the virus. Well, I don't know any country anywhere that had the opportunity to get their people to save up money. I mean, this pandemic hit everyone fast. I think she could have actually criticized Trump and Pence far more on their actual policies. Mm. And sometimes she got into the habit of just criticizing coronavirus, which I mean, 
fair enough. No one likes coronavirus, but yeah. it's not obviously uh, the fault of, of, of Trump or Pence that certain things happened. It felt a bit as though she was a, an avid consumer of what one might call resistance media because she kind of repeatedly cite, cited things you see a lot on social media rehashed by people who hate Trump uh, as a sort of living. I mean, she did the Atlantic piece about him disrespecting the troops she mentioned. She mentioned the Bob Woodward book. It felt a little bit like sort of uh, slightly hackneyed attack lines on Trump coming from her rather than, uh, except for on COVID, she did she did score a few points against Pence, I'd say, but she wasn't actually going for government policy, whereas I think Pence was trying to stand stand up and stand up for what his government had done, his administration. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Now, Pence obviously has the benefit of actually being in office at the moment and has a track record, good or bad, to try to defend or spin, and Senator Harris doesn't. But I agree, you could tell from the references that she made. It stunk of that metropolitan elite kind of of consumerism mm. um, that I'm sure a lot of watchers at home would have enjoyed, yes. uh, right? You know, if, if, if you're on team uh, Biden and Harris, then you've read the exact same articles and you're thrilled that she's bringing them up. I do wonder how well those topics pulled. I mean, some of Trump's criticism of those who have served in the U.S. military, I imagine, pull very well when you're trying to move voters away from him. So I think maybe the substance work, but you're right to mention that the way that she went about bringing it up it won't have resonated with Trump voters, I'll put it that way, who had tuned out to those kinds of uh, attacks many years ago, and, and I don't think I've ever tuned back in. Yes, there was that moment also when she talked about the New York Times' tax story, and she called it thanks to brilliant reporting. And that you get that a lot with top Democrats and, and the sort of the New York Times and a lot of the TV media. You feel they're just talking to each other <laughs> the whole time. Well, they were speaking to each other enough in 2016 that they missed what was actually in retrospect in front of them, yes. uh, that Donald Trump was speaking to people in Michigan and Wisconsin and Hillary Clinton wasn't. I am hesitant, however, to say that this is all the fault of the Democrats. I mean, I think the Republicans are certainly in a mindset now as well that certain media platforms just are no-go zones, certain yes. journalists, certain reporters, that the polarized state of media in America is, I think, very dangerous. You know, we, we sit here in London, Freddie, and whilst uh, our media channels and outlets are by no means perfect, thank goodness we have what is at least an attempt at trying to get both sides of the story because I feel that's gone in America. I grew up watching Fox News and as a kid, I mean, I, I really liked Fox News. It clearly had a, a, a right-leaning persuasion, but there were interesting perspectives on it. Mm. Um, and I find it hard when I go home now to turn on any news channel because I just don't think I'm getting the story. I just think I'm getting spin all the time. Yes. And I think a lot of British TV might be going in that direction, sadly, apart from spectator TV. Of course. Which is a refreshing, brings a bit of refreshing balance TV. to the TV.spectator.co.uk. Well, <laughs> brilliant. Well, let's talk about sound bites, because often these things just boil down to sort of sound bite of the night. And I'd say there are, Harris had one sound bite, which is where she said, Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking in a sort of, uh, you know, get back in your box way, mm -hmm. which of course everyone lapped up. And then Pence had this sort of, tough man moment where he said uh, you're entitled to your opinion Senator Harris you're not entitled to your own facts mm -hmm. so and even Harris said nice line at that point which is probably the most human thing she said in the whole thing uh, who won do you think on the battle of the sound bites 
I think Mike Pence did. It's interesting that you flagged those sound bites, Freddie. The one that really stood out to me happened earlier in the debate. And perhaps the fact that I'm, I'm not going to get it word for word means it wasn't the perfect sound bite. But he said something like at the very end of the uh, economy section, he said, You've heard it here first, Biden will raise your taxes. Mm. And actually, the way the debate had gone, it really landed in his favor. It didn't necessarily sound like he was manipulating what she had said or taking things out of context. It had gone in a way that it was clear that the Democrats have plans to reverse certain tax cuts and raise other taxes. And I think that will have resonated quite a lot. And there was a moment last week in the presidential debate when Joe Biden started talking about how he was going to raise taxes. And he got about a half a sentence in and Trump just, you know, yelling and screaming over him. And I mean, that was the moment that the American people should have gotten to hear from Joe Biden, because that's really controversial in the wake of a pandemic, that you're Mm going to tax business and take more money away from the employees who have just about managed to get through this crisis. Pence let Kamala Harris do that last night, and then really landed that blow. So for me, that was the that was a soundbite that stuck out. And perhaps just the way that he carried off that bit of the conversation makes me think that he won last night. Mm. Do you think we were watching the future of American politics? Because, you know, Mike Pence is strong favourite to be the next Republican nominee, whether it's in 2024, or perhaps he'll emerge as that sooner if Trump uh, loses the election. And Kamala Harris, a lot of people think because of Biden's age, if Biden wins, uh, she could be president even before the end of the first term because of, of Biden's fading health. Does that prospect fill you with dread or glee? Oh, it doesn't make me happy. No, no, it doesn't. But I suspect that we, if in terms of looking to the future, um, I think Kamala Harris on that stage is is probably the one to watch. Because if Joe Biden does win, and the polls anyway would suggest that it's looking like it's going to be a comfortable win, Lots could happen, but at the moment, you know, I'm sure his team are feeling better, not worse. As you say, Freddie, I think there's a real possibility that whether that is because of a tragic incident for Joe Biden while he's serving or simply because he decides not to run for a second term and she becomes the obvious candidate, Kamala Harris could quite easily be the next president of the United States. I suspect that if Donald Trump loses, Trumpism goes out with him. And a lot of people say the Republican Party has been captured by Trumpism now. Uh, It's never going back. And I personally completely disagree with that analysis. We don't have party leaders in the U.S. in the same way that you have them in the U.K. Who emerges as the candidate very quickly determines the policies of the party. And they can also very quickly fade. And I suspect that if Trump loses, people like Mike Pence, who you know, dedicated themselves to his cause will probably be out with him. The Republican Party will do four years of soul searching. And I would suspect that they'll come back with another candidate who knows what they'll believe. But I don't think they'll believe everything that Trump believed. That's uh, a very good note to end on. Very good answer, Kate. It's a good job our listeners can't see the massive fly on your head. (laughs) It's a good thing I can't either, my (laughs) (laughs) Thanks very much, Kate. (laughs) 